from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Asian Americans are the fastest growing group of eligible voters in the country, and enthusiasm for this year's presidential election is high, according to surveys. Asian Americans could make the difference in key swing states and down-ballot races, but more outreach is needed and more resources and support for voters with limited English skills or who've been hit hard by the pandemic. California alone is home to 35% of the Asian American electorate. Turning out Asian American voters, next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. More Asian Americans are registering to vote and turnout in 2018 hit record levels. Recent surveys show support for Joe Biden is higher than for Trump among Asian Americans, but many say they don't identify with either political party, meaning many remain persuadable. But party outreach to the fastest growing group of eligible voters is low. We look at the potential and the challenges of turning out Asian American voters. And we want to hear from you. Are you more politically engaged this year? And what's driving it? Joining us is Unsuk Lee, director of the AAPI Civic Engagement Fund. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Also with us is Lanhee Chen, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, former policy director for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, and former advisor to Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. Thanks for joining us, Lanhee Chen. Good to be with you. Also with us is Karthik Ramakrishnan, founder and director of AAPI Data and professor of political science and public policy at UC Riverside. Thanks for being with us, Karthik Ramakrishnan. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start with you, if I could, Dr. Ramakrishnan. Um, can you first just remind us of the size and ethnic diversity of the Asian American electorate? So if you look at the Asian American population, uh, a lot of times people might ask, is it anyone who is from Asia? And uh, it's important to note that Asian American is a racial category in the United States, and it's actually a separate racial category than Pacific Islander. So if you're looking at uh, Asian Americans uh, in the United States, um, there are about 22 million Asian American residents. If you look at the eligible voter population, this is those who are US citizens age 18 or older, it's a little over 11 million. So that's what it looks like nationally. Um, of course, they're not spread evenly across the various states. Uh, certain states like California, which accounts for about a third of the uh, Asian American eligible voter population is the biggest. And then you have states like New York and Texas. Now these states traditionally have not been competitive. Texas is a place that is competitive this year and we can talk later about what that might mean in terms of Asian American outreach and turnout. Uh, but you have many other states this year that are competitive uh, for the presidential race, including Florida that has a sizable uh, AAPI um, eligible voter population, over 400,000 there. Texas, by the way, has uh, close to 800,000 eligible API voters. Uh, and then you have other states like Pennsylvania and Georgia uh, and Nevada and Michigan that are all important races for the presidential. On top of that, there are many congressional districts where API voters are certainly well within the margin of victory or defeat for either side. 
Yes. And as you say, there in different parts of the country, there are, of course, different uh, representation of different ethnic groups. But I mean, broadly speaking, it's it's so diverse, including Chinese, Indian, Korean, Vietnamese, Japanese, Filipino, Hmong, and so on, in terms of just the diversity of what constitutes the Asian American electorate. And with it, uh, also so many different languages represented. And uh, Unsukli, I know that that's been something that has been both the beauty and the challenge of civic engagement. Can you talk a little bit about how your group has tried to address some of those kinds of challenges with such a large and diverse group? I think that um, what we have learned and seen with the API community is that yes, there is diversity. At the same time, there's a lot that is common with similarly shared perspectives on issues. Um, and that's what we've seen from organizers on the ground in different cities around the country, but also in the polling and other research we've done. Um, and this polling research, for example, at least from my own experience has happened since 2012. So we see that APIs, um, while there is differences in terms of immigration experience and, uh, and, and um, issues that may be of different priorities, Generally, they share similar viewpoints and they are becoming critical mass in not just the cities and states that we typically think of, the coastal cities like New York or East Coast and West, but in Texas, as Karthik mentioned, in other places. And I think um, the way that our groups, um, I should mention, we support um, over 22 groups in 15 states, and these are local organizations working. Some of them are ethnic specific and some of them are pan-API, but what they do is understand that while APIs have common shared issues, to work with them, there is a need to be culturally specific and linguistically appropriate. So the intent is to make sure to go deep in communities and speak the language that they speak. But in doing that, they've also seen that there's a lot, as I said before, about commonly shared viewpoints on issues. And I think the goal for API groups that are working is to build strategic unity. And so can you talk about that? I mean, I do find that fascinating. And of course, you know, Asian Americans are by no means a monolith. But you're right, surveys do suggest this notable consistency on the issues that matter most to Asian Americans and Pacific Islander voters. Can you talk about what those are? I would, I would point to several polls that we recently came up with, which again shows that APIs aren't forming a block because they are a significant number. And again, they have shared perspectives. And whether it's, and we, we came out for voting block, I think a month ago, whether it's DREAM Act, uh, gender pay equity, gun control, um, the need to address racial profiling and high numbers, APIs agree that these are important issues. And this is also the case with young APIs because we just came out with a poll a month ago on that. And similarly, there's shared viewpoints on many of these issues, whether it's Black Lives Matter, uh, March for Our Lives, and so on. And um, I think also when we're looking at the API community, you mentioned that um, they're considered persuadable. There may not be as strong party alignment, but what we have seen is the API electorate has consistently started to trend democratic from 63% in 2008 to 71% in 2016. Um, yes. 
Yeah. And, you know, Lonnie Chen, that actually brings me to you. I remember in 2014 and 2016, you writing articles about Asian Americans, whether or not this might be a time where they could make a turn to the right, that the GOP could win back Asian American voters. Can you talk a little bit or put in context sort of the history of party affiliation of Asian American voters and what you attribute to this move away from the right? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I grew up in Southern California uh, and, uh, you know, spent a lot of my formative years there. And, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, it wasn't uncommon to find uh, a fair number of Asian Americans who, who self-identified as Republican or conservative. Uh, and, and I think over the years, that point of view has changed. I think it's changed for a number of reasons. I think one of the reasons which we can get into is the lack of engagement from uh, from the Republican Party in particular, which I can speak to, but but I think both parties to a certain degree um, didn't engage the Asian American population nearly as aggressively and nearly as directly as I think was warranted. Uh, and, and I did think, you know, over time, there have been these opportunities uh, for the various parties to to engage and therefore to garner support. Um, from the perspective of the Republican Party, you know, post 2012, uh, I worked on the on Mitt Romney's campaign in 2012. I, I think, as you mentioned, and one of the things that the Republican Party tried to do after 2012 was to assess in what ways it could engage uh, minority communities more directly and and to direct to directly engage and to meet them on issues that uh, that matter to them. And, and certainly, you know, a few of those issues were, were economic in nature, some related to America's national security posture. But regardless of the situation, I think that opportunity and that, that window, um, for a variety of different reasons, has, uh, has become more narrow over the last few years. And the question now is one of how the Republican Party in particular would, would minimize or be able to deal with uh, some of the, the the challenges that have been created, frankly, the the move to the left is something that I do think we've seen uh, cemented in the data, and I do think it's it's seen even amongst those who are party and, and political operatives. They have seen the Asian American population, rather than moving to the right, in fact, over the last few years, become more solidly democratic. Yes, I mean, you wrote this interesting piece in CNN recently where you talked about the need for Republicans to kind of go back to traditional conservative values. But you also made this interesting point about how it needs to it, it needs to address uh, Asian Americans feeling marginalized by the current state of conservatism in America. And I wonder what you meant by that. Well, look, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the Republican Party and a lot of conservatism has been associated with a strong anti-immigrant orientation, and you know that's problematic when you have an Asian population, Asian American population, if not directly first-generation immigrants, certainly descendants of people who have immigrated to the United States to make a better life for themselves. And I think the traditional conservative point of view is one that values opportunity and one that values. Uh, this work ethic that I think a lot of Asian American, uh, not not to generalize, but certainly people who I grew up with, my own family experience, my own personal experience, uh, is one where that immigrant ethos is very important. And failing to acknowledge that, failing to honor that, I think has been a big impediment 
uh, for for the Republican Party in in many places. Now, I think there's a little bit more diversity within the Asian American population when you look at levels of support for conservative candidates or for Republican uh, candidates. You know, certainly some elements of the Asian American population, the Vietnamese American population, for example, yes. uh, has tended to affiliate more closely with the Republican Party. So I think there are opportunities there. But overall, this anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric and dialogue does not help. Yes, and it's interesting, you know, I was struck by this stat that Asian Americans are the only racial group with with two thirds of voters as naturalized citizens as opposed to U.S. born citizens. So the immigration aspect of it, you're right, is very deep. We're talking with Lonnie Chen, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, former policy director for Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign and former advisor to Mark Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. Also, Karthik Ramakrishnan is with us, founder and director of AAPI Data and professor of political science and public policy at UC Riverside. And we have Unsuk Lee with us, director of the AAPI Civic Engagement Fund. And you, our listeners, are with us. What questions do you have for our panel? Are you an Asian American voter? How are you thinking about this? election, feeling about this election? Are you finding that you're more engaged in the political process this year than years past? Why or why not? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Asian Americans are the fastest growing group of eligible voters, and they're poised to make an impact in November. But more outreach is needed, according to our guests, Unsuk Lee, director of the AAPI Civic Engagement Fund, Lonnie Chen, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, and Karthik Ramakrishnan of UC Riverside. And Karthik Ramakrishnan, you know, before the break, Lonnie Chen was talking about outreach and cultivating voters, and he was saying that both Republicans and Democrats have not really done the work to try to reach out. Can you talk a little bit about the stats that you have found as part of AAPI data in terms of outreach to Asian American voters and uh, and how Democrats have been doing? Thank you. Yes, when it comes to outreach, uh, Lonnie's right, and, and by the way, may, folks on both the left and the right, and also those who are not affiliated with, with either party and that are nonpartisan have noticed this over time, is that outreach in general has been the lowest for Asian Americans when compared to other groups. So we, uh, we saw this in 2016 in the National Asian American Survey, where we had comparable samples for, uh, for white voters, black voters, uh, registered voters, uh, and Latinos and Asian Americans as well. And actually the numbers were comparable, although slightly lower for Asian Americans than for Latinos. There are a few reasons for this. One, Asian Americans have tended not to live in as much in battleground states, right? They, they tend to be concentrated on the coast and in states like Texas that traditionally have not been competitive for the presidential. But that's not the only reason. Um, you're talking about the only racial group that is majority foreign born and majority naturalized voters. 
Asian Americans didn't grow up in Republican households or Democratic households. So you actually need to have more outreach than normal in order to make sure that uh, that these voters understand what each party is about. Uh, and so we should not only expect parity, we should actually be expecting greater than uh, greater than greater than average outreach to Asian American voters. And we haven't seen that. Mm. One thing I will say is that there's been a bit of a the reason why the Democrats have benefited, even though they haven't invested as much traditionally in outreach, uh, there has been an exception in recent years. So in 2018, you saw both parties invest pretty heavily, especially in, in swing districts in California, in Nevada, Virginia, New Jersey, and elsewhere. Um, the, the Republican Party after 9-11 uh, really shot itself in the foot uh, when it came to outreach to immigrant voters. What you saw after 9-11 was a big increase in hate crimes and violence and discrimination against Asian Americans and particularly South Asians. And many of these voters saw the Democratic Party as more credible on the issue of fighting discrimination. By contrast, on the Republican side, well before Donald Trump and the Tea Party, right, you saw Congressman Tom Tancredo and others really grow the restrictionist and nativist wing of the Republican Party and it, it grew significantly over time and it started repelling a lot of Asian Americans who otherwise might've thought themselves as potentially Republican voters, if not as Republicans. So that's really hurt the Republican party. And as Lanhe said, after Mitt Romney's defeat in 2012, the Republican party went through a painstaking study that laid out a roadmap of what the party needed to do to win back Asian American voters, Donald Trump, shredded that those recommendations and went in the opposite direction. And we'll see in 2020 if that theory still holds that you can continue alienating you know, significant and fast growing segments of the electorate and still win presidential elections. I'm skeptical. And I think the Republican Party is in for a major reckoning after 2020 in terms hmm. of what its future is going to be. Well, that said, this listener tweets, I feel there's this wariness that, yes, Trump absolutely needs to go, but that the new administration, assuming it's a Biden administration, will return to an agenda that leaves AAPI on the sidelines as white adjacent, overstriving and privileged, unless they fall into line as just another member of the progressive coalition. I mean, Unsuk Lee, do you, do you hear that? Uh, that there is some sense in some ways that uh, the Democrats take Asian Americans for granted? I think that what we probably want to look at in terms of phenomenons is, first of all, just agreeing with Karthik and Lani in terms of the fact that all polling has shown consistently that APIs have not been contacted at the same level. There is a difference in terms of a poll we just did with young APIs in August that actually 73% were contacted. Those who were contacted, 73% were contacted by Democrats, over 34% of Republicans. But maybe we want to layer this with the fact that in 2018, we saw this and we're seeing this more now is that there is also a greater um, mobilization by individuals on their own. There's self, um, it's lateral mobilization. It's not just dependency on parties. It's mm -hmm. not there is community-based organizations that are doing significant and important work, coupled with the fact that um, back in the day when you were polling and asking, did you register your friends and family? Did you, did you also volunteer? Did you give to a candidate? And so on. 
it would be less than double digits, I would say. But the polling we did in 2018 showed uh, larger numbers. So I would say that what we may also want to layer to this is that it's not just a dependency on political parties for individuals to feel that they need to participate. They're taking it up on their own. And again, they saw that in 2018. And, and those who are doing more of that organizing, what we saw was mostly women of color. It was Black women leading. It was Latinx. It was um, API women far more than API men, for example, that were taking the charge, protesting, registering voters, talking to friends and families. And I hope we would add that layer to it. So I think there is an expectation always that political parties should pay more attention to all voters, including voters of color. And oftentimes they are seen, they are taken for advantage or taken taken for granted. How just so I can clarify, taken for granted. Um, but there is also this phenomenon of API communities doing it on their own as well. Yes. Uh, the other point that I wanted to ask you about in Sukli was when Karthik Ramakrishnan was just talking about also the challenges of getting uh, Asian Americans to vote in just in terms of the resource that are needed to go a little bit above and beyond what might not be historical patterns of civic engagement. And I was wondering, I mean, do you feel like the resources are enough as part of the AAPI Civic Engagement Fund? It's never enough um, for API communities. They've been historically underfunded. Um, I don't remember the percentages. It's usually less than 3% overall that is given to API communities to um, become civically engaged. We're one of the only funds that exists. Um, so no, there isn't. And oftentimes, again, more resources are necessary because you're going to have to do things not just in English, but in multiple languages. That takes more time. That costs more uh, money to do that. Um, but it is interesting, so flat out no, but then to be honest, uh, in comparison, there isn't enough for communities of color overall. It's not just API communities. There's not enough investment in voters of color. And could you talk a little bit about how the tools that uh, organizers generally fall on can also be difficult in part because of the language issue, for example, you know, texting as voter outreach? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, definitely. Um, and also more so, again, as you can imagine, because of COVID, um, there's, first of all, the greater need to just have accurate information out to communities. That's more than there's ever been. Uh, we know that um, in the very uh, in the early stages when there was lockdowns around the country, in some cases, ethnic media was not able to communicate to language minority voters. So it was dependent on community groups to do that. They did that in language, in webinars, and so on. So basic information about how to register, deadlines, that is necessary in so many different languages. But again, as you brought up the tools, uh, more of our groups are now doing digital engagement. They are texting, they're phone banking, and so on. And oftentimes when they do it, they find that the tools are not necessarily compatible to allow for Asian texts. You need to have Unicode, for example, to do that. In some cases, it didn't exist. So there is also work to try to build up the tools. And then also in terms of the quality of voter data, oftentimes they, they're not able to identify voters by race and or by ethnicity. Um, that is something that groups are working to improve and change, but it's simply just share, it's, it's simply an illustration of how much more infrastructure um, has to be um, built or created to ensure that APIs of different ethnicities and language ability are reached. It is far more complex and again, obviously more resources um, attached to it. Well, let me go to caller Rahul in Santa Clara. Hi, Rahul. 
Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Go right ahead. I was going to say that I actually am the son of Asian immigrant parents from an overrepresented minority group, and I grew up in the Midwest. And I do think that there's something that has been discounted by the media is that in 2016, there were a lot of silent supporters for Trump, primarily because of his immigration policies. Many of um, my parents' friends and others in the community did see um, Trump's one, fixing the legal, as someone who may fix the legal immigration system, and two, they did see uh, the focus on this illegal immigration as folks who were cutting them in line, people who had been educated and who were from areas that just happened to not share a border with the U.S. So, uh, and I think that in this election, um, that's changed a little bit, but the problems still haven't gone away with the legal immigration system either. Uh, Raul, thanks for sharing your experience and, and also underscoring the fact that, that Asian Americans are certainly not a monolith pay rights. For example, I'm Chinese American, a naturalized citizen born in Hong Kong, grew up in Canada and college educated in the U.S. I changed my affiliation from independent to Democrat this year after Trump and his enablers and the Republican Party. I cannot imagine ever voting for a Republican again. Uh, Hugh writes, I'm a very engaged Asian American voter and have a mom who speaks mostly Cantonese. She gets her news from a source that is clearly biased towards Trump. Is there a Chinese speaking news source that she can access that is more balanced? Uh, Unsukli, I don't know if you have any thoughts about or <laughs> for Hugh about a more balanced resource in ethnic media. Um I think what I would recommend to Hugh is that um, I do, I know that some of the organizations we're actually supporting are doing more balanced reporting. I would point to Chinese for Affirmative Action. They have a very robust Chinese language digital engagement program. Um, they have a WeChat channel in both, lang both Chinese languages and it's growing followership. Um, and they've done extensive original writing along with curation of content that is, I would say, more balanced and or progressive when it comes to issues like affirmative action and immigration reform that you might want to take a look at. Thank you. And this listener tweets, in what ways is Trump's use of the moniker China virus to describe COVID-19 affecting the outlook of Asian American voters? Karthik Ramakrishnan, do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, what we've seen in our data uh, this is data, you know, when I talk about our surveys, it's both surveys by API data that's been in conjunction with API vote and AAJC, but also the National Asian American Survey. What we found is that uh, President Trump has actually lost support among Chinese American voters. Uh, and this is more than with any other Asian American group. So it seems that all of this China bashing and the the kind of either racially tinged to outright racist rhetoric uh, when it comes to the coronavirus uh, has hurt President Trump among Chinese American voters. Huh. I also want to talk about with the, what the caller talked about undocumented immigrants and where Asian Americans stand on that. The polling data from us and others, including those that UNSUC mentioned and as well as other surveys are all very clear that Asian Americans support a pathway to citizenship. Now, of course, people are going to have family members that are conservative on this issue but that's not representative of the overall population. I also want to underscore that one out of every seven Asian immigrants is undocumented. There's a lot of mythology within yes. the Asian American community that this is not an issue that affects us. And it absolutely is an issue that affects us. 
And I think that it's important for us to be honest in terms of how these issues uh, affect our own communities without thinking that, you know, we are the good immigrants and everyone else is a bad immigrant. No, we have very complicated stories even within our community. And I think we need to have a more uh, clear-eyed assessment of how these issues affect our own communities. Yes. Um, you know, Lani Chen, to the point about the rising anti-Asian attacks, the 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 connection that's made between the role that the president has played with his bigotry against Asian Americans and catalyzing Asian Americans this time around. I mean, how big a problem do you think this is for the Republican Party? You know, I, th I think it's a complex picture, uh, you know, because I do think, I, I forgot who noted this earlier, but but there has been this interesting diversity of opinion about uh, President Trump within certain Asian American communities. Uh, there are certainly some uh, Indian Americans, for example, who have uh, hewed closer to Trump even recently because of his uh, close relationship to Prime Minister Modi of India uh, and, and the fact that they still follow home country politics. There have been some Chinese Americans that have recoiled at the notion that, uh, you know, so many uh, leading Democrats and, and progressive activists have argued in favor of affirmative action when the evidence is at best, at best mixed in terms of how it impacts the Asian American community. So I, I think that there are, it's a little bit more complex than to say simply that everything that Donald Trump has said or everything that President Trump has said has hurt his standing or the standing of the Republican Party with Asian Americans. I do think some of the rhetoric uh, has been um, deeply problematic. And I think some of it has been certainly not helpful in terms of expanding the base of Republican support amongst those who, who are Asian American. But I think the story here in terms of how the Asian American community has responded to President Trump uh, is a little bit more complex. And I think you're seeing that even in uh, perhaps not in California, but in some other parts of the country, certainly one of the, the callers you who, who called in earlier, for example, noted the, the Midwest and the dynamic around legal versus illegal immigration. I think that is a very meaningful one for many Asian Americans who, uh, who you know, some of whom did uh, participate in a process where they were able to naturalize and become part of uh, part of the part of the American uh, society in the way that they did. So it, it is a complicated issue, and I think there's a lot more texture here than than a lot of um, leading analysts have have recognized. So you don't think it's a problem in terms of driving more Asian Americans toward the Democratic Party? No, I, I think it certainly has driven some. Mm. I, I just don't think it's a. Again, it's not. We've made this point many times. I don't think it's a monolithic impact. No, and and certainly, not, I'm not saying everything the president says, of course, right? Because there are some Asian American groups that have a strong anti-China bias as well, and and like sort of sure. what he's yeah. done here. But, and, and, um, and to be fair, the the anti-Chinese rhetoric, uh, the the president has engaged in some, and there've also been Democratic candidates around the country who've engaged in some as well. In fact, you know, if if you look at the percentage of Americans who have a negative view of China just as a country. It's at an all-time high. And, and that is not Donald Trump's doing alone. But, you know, he certainly has contributed to it, no question about it. Well, Karthik Ramakrishnan, I know you need to leave us um, just before the break. And so I wanted to ask you uh, just sort of final words and, and your thoughts on why there is what you're seeing as enthusiasm, more enthusiasm this time around for this year's election. Well, what we're seeing this year is a continuation of the um, of the tidal wave we saw in 2018. So 2018 broke records for turnout generally, 
and among Asian American and Pacific Islander voters as well. Um, and so that, you know, the, the biggest reason, even though there's a lot of mobilization, a lot of activation, community groups are doing a lot of work, it was Donald Trump. Donald Trump brings out a lot of passionate opinion, both for or and against. When it came to API voters in 2018, it was mostly, and it was overwhelmingly against. And we're, start, we're seeing that same kind of phenomenon this year. So I would predict that we're going to see record turnout and turnout that that is largely uh, you know, favorable to Biden as opposed to President Trump. Uh, that said, I think it's important for both parties to, to reflect in the future in terms of what kind of engagement will they continue to do with API voters and other communities of color. And I think it'll be, I think we are in for a reckoning with this election. Uh, and I think we will hopefully have a more inclusive democracy uh, moving forward after 2020. Karthik Ramakrishnan, founder and director of AAPI Data and professor of political science and public policy at UC Riverside. We'll have more with Unsuk Lee and Lonnie Chen after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the role of AAPI voters in this year's election with Unsuk Lee, director of the AAPI Civic Engagement Fund, and Lonnie Chen, research fellow at the Hoover Institution. And you, our listeners, again, 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to join the conversation about Asian American voters, how you are thinking about this election. Are you finding yourself more politically engaged this year? Why? 866-733-6786. On Twitter or Facebook, you can reach us at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. This listener tweets, I'm a Vietnamese American who escaped Vietnam in 1975. I've always been a bit casual about politics until this year. I've volunteered for Vote Forward and Beto O'Rourke's Powered by People phone bank to help turn Texas blue. I also gave tons of money toward battleground states to flip the Senate. Basically, um, you know, just before the break, Karthik Ramakrishnan was talking about the large proportion of undocumented Asian Americans, which is often an untold story. I feel like another big untold story of this year has been how much the pandemic has affected Asian Americans. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, just in terms of in, ter in terms of deaths and illness, unemployment, and, and how that's complicated outreach. Um, I think, first of all, in terms of how, how APIs have been disconnected because of COVID, um, it is, as you said, um, as I mentioned earlier, just in fact, um, getting access to information itself. Um, there were many who did lose jobs in the service industry. Uh, many of them, if they were un undocumented, for example, in, are not eligible for any kind of benefits program. Um, so like other communities, APIs, especially in certain cities and industries, were negatively affected by COVID. Um, at the same time, there was also... Um, an organizing of API community groups. There were mutual aid funds and other forms of relief and support that community groups did. They were far more present in the API communities than you would imagine doing food drop-offs, uh, making sure that they were providing relief in different forms. And I think that's also uh, as important a story as to talk about the challenges that API communities face with COVID. Um, the other point that I think is important to mention is that um, it did affect 
um, API political participation. Uh, again, I point to the most recent poll we did with young APIs, and 63% of them said that what has motivated them to political action is anti-Asian bias in a bit. So, and hmm. they're counting in that case, one third said they were just I'm sorry. Uh, Unsukai, we're hearing a little bit of background noise there. Um, I don't think it's myself. I'm it not might sure. not be you. So go go right ahead. And if for some reason it ends up being a connection that we can figure out, we'll deal with it. And again, these are young APIs that we polled. One third said they were treated with suspicion and fear. One out of seven suffered physical assault. And um, again, one ha over half um, were subjected to racial slurs. So these experiences are, are definitely motivating APIs to look around themselves and see not only is this country under a pandemic, but where is the leadership to bring the community together, to bring the country together and to protect all residents and, and come out with an agenda and a plan to get us through it. And that they're realizing more and more the need for them to take political action in these times. Well, let me go to caller Michael in Boston. Hi, Michael. Hi, I'd like to add that I think that there are some who uh, pay a lot of attention to the difference between legal and illegal immigration, but others who know the history of the laws and know that the laws have been so arbitrary and bigoted that that uh, know that they're a little bit skeptical of the whole distinction. My other question, though, was to what extent has the Republican Party is becoming much more a theocratically evangelical Christian party made a difference? I know many Asian Americans are Christian, but many aren't. Uh, Lonnie Chen. Yeah, it's a, it's a complex dynamic uh, because there's actually a lot more texture even within the evangelical community than probably is commonly known. Uh, and, and some of that's an age difference, by the way. I think certainly, you know, if I think about my own social circles, uh, you know, sort of younger Asian American evangelical Christians tend to be more progressive and more socially liberal, uh, as opposed to older uh, Asian American evangelical Christians who who tend to be more more conservative and politically uh, have been more supportive, for example, of uh, of President Trump. And so it, it's a complex dynamic when you start to to intersect uh, faith backgrounds with racial and ethnic backgrounds with politics, but there's no question that um, that there, in my mind at least, there is a lot more diversity within the Asian American faith community uh, than, than has been commonly reported. And then more broadly amongst the evangelical Christian community, there is this divide by, by age and also by geography. Those who live in urban areas like San Francisco or LA or Boston are more likely to be progressive, uh, even if they are people of faith, than than folks who live in in other parts uh, of the country that may be more rural or suburban or exurban. Well, Jordan writes, my wife is Chinese American, and she and her family are very disciplined, have good jobs, and work hard. Having lower taxes on capital gains and estate taxes is important to them. On our other issues, they would vote Democrat, but because tax policy and keeping their hard-earned money is so important to them, they are all reluctantly voting Republican this year. This listener tweets, who are some lesser known AAPI politicians we should keep an eye on? Bonnie Chen, do you want to start on that one? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. There are so many uh, Asian American leaders at the local level uh, who are involved in, in state legislative politics, for example. Um, and, and, you know, I think that there are, there are a number of different people. I mean, I think a, a lot of the, the headliners, if you will, come to mind. But um, if you look, for example, at a guy like Philip Chen, who's a state assemblyman in, in California, he's a Republican, uh, as somebody who, you know, I think has a, a bright future ahead of him. Young Kim, who's running for Congress uh, in the 39th district, which is Orange County in Los Angeles County in Southern California, very competitive district, one of the few truly competitive House of Representatives districts uh, elections this year. She's also, uh, I, I think, got a very interesting race and a promising future ahead if she wins. So, you know, I'd encourage people to look at uh, at the local level, to look at the state level, and, and possibly some of these uh, congressional elections as well. Because, you know, the, the nice thing, the interesting thing that I've noticed is really the increase in the number of Asian American candidates on both sides who are who are wanting to get involved and wanting to make their voices heard and known through the political process, not just by by voting, which is really important, but also by participating in the process as elected candidates. And, and I think it's important for us to make sure those stories are told and understood. And so, Klee, there's been some reporting that uh, Senator Kamala Harris running as you know vice president, right, on the ticket, the first African-American and Asian-American woman on the ticket is boosting voter turnout or enthusiasm. Do you think that's true? Um, well, the interesting thing is again, and again, I think this year is uh, far more interesting because there's a lot more polling than there's ever done on APIs pre-election. <laughs> the one that I just mentioned, the young API, we did ask that specific question whether the fact that Kamala Harris was uh, a candidate made it more positive and the majority, 51%, did say it had a more positive uh, reaction because she was the running mate. And I think you'll see that in other similar polls that ask similar questions. So yes, it did matter. I do also want to clarify, however, though, that at the same time, when, for example, young APIs were asked whether race was in itself a factor, yes and no, meaning that what was more important to them was um, the candidate's position on issues. Um, they were looking to support candidates that aligned with their um, priorities. They're looking to far and far and more uh, look for candidates that support a progressive agenda is what they were looking at. So I think race plays some factor to it, but I don't think it was a so or deciding factor for these voters. Um, you also asked about competitive districts. I thought yeah. it would be interesting also is to look at Congressional District 22, which is in Texas, Sugarland. It's probably as another, um, probably one of the most competitive districts uh, in the country right now. And it's highly likely to flip. And there is an Asian American or an Indian American, I should mention, who's running there. And I bring that up because, again, APIs are not just significant in the coast anymore, but they're actually playing significant roles in places that you would not expect, like Sugarland or possibly Atlanta and other cities. Yes, it, it, Pennsylvania has been getting some attention as well, just because of the dramatic growth of their Asian American population, which could be just enough to be really decisive. Um, well, Corey writes, specific to San Francisco, I've always been under the assumption that Asian American and Pacific Islanders are very engaged in local politics. Is this not the case? Do Asian American and Pacific Islanders engage in politics differently at the national and state level? And unsickly, I mean, quickly, that answer is yes, of course, but are there lessons to be learned uh, for San Francisco, from San Francisco? Uh 
Well, I, I think that in some ways, often, obviously, California is so different than the rest of the country. And California itself, Asian Americans, 28 um, congressional districts where they actually uh, form a voting block. So not just San Francisco, but California itself, AAPIs have a very powerful influence that they can play. Uh, I think that in a lot of ways, what San Francisco shapes is can, can be influential and an indicator of where voters uh, land on uh, throughout the state. But I would also caution that obviously the makeup of the API population in San Francisco is very different than Fresno, where you see growing Sikh and Hmong populations in other parts of the of the state. So there's uh, lessons to be learned in terms of where APIs as a group and then specific populations within uh, stand on the issues. But there's also, uh, and I, I see also a unifying movement around APIs around the state, but also a, rec a need to look at the fact that there is differences in terms of the ethnicity, ethnicity within certain regions of the state. And again, Unsuk Lee is director of AAPI Civic Engagement Fund. Lonnie Chen is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, former policy director for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign and former advisor to Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. You, our listeners, are with us with your questions and comments about Asian American voting and turning out the vote and the role that Asian American and Pacific Islander voters can play in this year's election. 866-733-6786, the number to call, email address form at kqed.org. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to some more calls here and Denise in San Francisco. Hi, Denise. Join us. Hi. Yes. Um, I want to say that Asian Americans should come out uh, by the flock to vote in this election and vote no on Prop 16 because Prop 16 would undo the state constitution's protection for us against uh, racial discrimination. And the history of California is one of discrimination against Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Asians in general. Um, Denise, thanks. Without someone here, you know, just to talk about the counter on, on Prop 16, I, I don't feel like we could go too much into this, but I, it, she does make an underscore, I think, the, an interesting point about what issues and what, you know, measures and down-ballot races tend to activate Asian-American voters, Lonnie Chen? Yeah, I mean, this is an issue on which there is a tremendous amount of, of passion and interest, uh, you know, amongst others, I would say, by the way. Um, this The issue of affirmative action happens to be more salient because it's on the ballot in California this year directly. But you can think about a number of other issues uh, about which there you know, there are divisions within the Asian American community, but I also say potentially divisions between the Asian American community and other communities of color. And I think that's what makes the the issue so complex and, and so difficult and, and so in some ways so fraught. So I, I do think that, you know, everywhere I've been around California recently, which hasn't been many places given the pandemic, but but in my travels before the pandemic, I did find that certainly with respect to affirmative action, that is one issue on which people are quite passionate one way or the other, but it is an issue that divides the Asian American community to be sure. Let me go to Rosalind in San Diego. Hi, Rosalind. Hi. Well, I was just noticing that during the um, Black Lives Matter protest that most of the my uh, coworkers that were Asian Pacific Islanders you know, they didn't understand why Black Lives Matter. And I just, I, it was surprising to me that I had to explain this to them. You know, I just wish that 
they will be who they are and not try to assimilate so much. And I, you know, I said, well, when we go to China, we're not going to change our names. But when uh, Asians come over here, they change their names. And I don't think they should. Uh, Rosalind, thanks for sharing your experience. Unsukli, I mean, interestingly, one of the things that, that I remember reading about with regard to the Black Lives Matter protests was just the diversity among protesters, including Asian Americans. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I mean, I mean, uh, we all have obviously our lived experiences. So those we encounter may it may seem like that's represented the community. I do want to point out um, that, for example, with Black Lives Matter, again, when we asked young APIs, for example, right, you pulled you on this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you identify with any movement, what would it be? And the top two that came out was climate change and Black Lives Matter. And then when it came to asking them, did you do any kind of activity or protest? Far more through social media than actually in person. Can, I think we can understand why because of COVID. But again, there was significant activity around it. And I, I don't want to just keep promoting our poll because I know there was a similar poll done with Power California that I read about um, weeks before ours, where again, when they looked at the breakdown by race, API young people were far more activated or and or identified and sympathetic to the Black Lives Matter movement. So, you know, there, I would say across the board, um, there is support. I think when you break it down, there will be some differences by age and by gender. Um, but um, I think that the experience that the caller spoke of is probably with that particular, you know, individual, but I don't think that's necessarily representative of the API community and where they're trending. Well, let me go next to Nalaini in San Jose. Hi, Nalaini. Join us. And unfortunately, some some violence. So I really identify with the Black Lives Matter in, and that's not many of my community to really understand that. But when we are here, we really need to work on all disparities. And that's um, so which I'm more involved right now in the local uh, initiatives and what's going on in the local initiatives, because I live in California and my party affiliation may not matter, but the local initiatives might. Mm. Well, Nalaini, thanks for sharing that. This listener writes, I immigrated to the U.S. 25 years ago from Taiwan, but have never voted until this year. I forfeited my votes in the past because the complexity of issues I'm asked to vote for often goes beyond my scope of knowledge. I know a lot of my family has the same sentiment. They're worried they don't know what or who they're really voting for, but don't know how to find the time and resources to educate themselves. Unsickly, your thoughts on that last comment? You know, I think that what's important is that there are far more API civic engagement groups around the country that is offering this type of information in language. I would encourage callers to find their local community-based organization. They will be surprised to find the information that they may be seeking, not just in English, but in other languages. And what I did want to underscore with these groups around the country, whether it's in Minnesota when George Floyd was killed or what have you in Wisconsin, we have API organizations that are from the community, that are rooted in the Hmong community, the Southeast Asian community, the South Asian community, and so on, who are very clear about supporting not only racial equity and stopping anti-Asian uh, racism, but seeing that connected to countering anti-Blackness. Mm. And so I think that that's something that we, we, we are maybe not enough is said about and more said about the divisions and, and the assimilation. And it's, it's, I think that's an old 
of stereotype about APIs, and we really need to counteract it because that is not what we're seeing in communities around the country. Unsuk Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Unsuk Lee is director of AAPI Civic Engagement Fund. Lonnie Chen, thanks to you as well. Thank you. Lonnie Chen, research fellow at the Hoover Institution. And thanks to Ariana Prail for producing today's segment and to our listeners for their questions and comments. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.